Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. So a little disclosure, Ali has been one of my best friends in the entire world for a very, very long time. And so I know a little bit about his story, but I found his story so compelling that I wanted to share it with our audience because I think that there's some lessons here that the listeners can learn from. So uh, first off, Ollie, thank you so much for taking the time to do this for me. Hey, Chris, you just made me warm and fuzzy inside, brother. So. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's great to be with you, man. Okay, cool. So can you talk to us a little bit about your background so that the listeners know where you're coming from? I mean, even start with moving to the U.S. when you're 18, relationships start with your father, all that stuff. Absolutely. I'm going to be 40 in December. Um, by background, I, I was born and raised in Pakistan. Uh, I came to the U.S. when I was about 18 or 19 years old. I come from uh, separated parents. I don't like to use the, term, the word broken home. Um, and, you know, I really had, you know, s certain disagreements with my dad over the way, you know, the uh, divorce occurred then you know my stepdad as well too ended up having an affair so both my dad and my stepdad having ended up having affairs and that actually just ended up uh kind of reinforcing something really negative about uh the male disposition i i for a long time i thought like i just couldn't trust myself and if i ended up being in a relationship i'd be unfulfilled and i'd end up cheating Whereas I now I kind of know like at my core, I'm really, really monogamous uh, and so forth. But uh, that's something that I kind of lived with for a very, very long time. And, uh, you know, only up, up until a few years ago, um, you know, kind of disproved that internal myth that I carried. And that really had a profound effect on my relationships going forward that I'll talk about. So I, I ended up moving to the U.S. when I was 19. Uh, had my first girlfriend at 12, <laughs> but, uh, I actually, you know, when it came to sex and intimacy, I was 23 when I lost my virginity. So, uh, I was not very pro proficient with, uh, you know, talking to women, uh, building in intimacy and so forth. Um, and it took me a while to figure that out. And, you know, even at 23, there was actually, prior to me losing my virginity, there was a girl I was interested in. And um, we were kind of dating to the extent, and I was hesitant to pull the trigger because I just, again, I just didn't trust myself. Like, what would my heart feel months into the relationship? Maybe I'll end up breaking my heart. Well, you know, the opposite happened. She ended up breaking mine. And out of respite, like, I kind of, went on the spree of just like having casual sex for to kind of like numb the pain and like years later i figured out that's really what the trigger event was right and the story of like barney from how i met your mother resonates with me if anybody who's watched that show like you know he's this guy who's like very idealistic about love and so forth and what have you he's this hippie and all of a sudden like the girl that he's like interested in or dating like ends up you know dating a wall street broker who's just like an ass and just like you know a total jerk and uh, when he sees that, like he turns into that guy. Uh, so something very similar happened to me, whereas I ended up being somebody else for many, many years in my relationships. And that manifested itself in, 
you know, me being in a lot of disconnect with physical relationships, me being unfulfilled and so forth. And, uh, you know, finally, um, it came to a point where I was like 35 or 36. I finally ended up, uh, falling for a woman that I was really interested in. We'll call her Susan. And, um, and I kind of knew that at that particular point, I was like, you know what? I'm actually like ready to give myself to this woman and whatnot. We'd been dating for like two or three months. And, uh, I recall like, she doesn't call me for my birthday. And I'm like, what the hell happened? Like she, you know, we were living in different cities at the time. And, um, and I was like, okay, you know what, let's, let's be non-reactive about this and so forth. And maybe it's something else. And like two days later, she calls me and she's like, I found somebody else. And I'm like, wow, how ironic this is that I've been with dozens and dozens of women. And normally it's me who's the disconnected one. And I end things and the, the first girl that I'm really interested in, um, you know, in that way to like perceive something deep and meaningful says this. So I'm like, you know what, this is a sign I deserve this. And this means that I get to work on myself, um, you know, and then, you know, kind of started this journey of self-exploration. And um, it was, you know, I took some time for myself. I've, I'd never really had been in any long-term relationships at all. Like there were fleeting relationships that just, you know, morphed into one another and uh, that gave me some really good perspectives and, you know, made me kind of change my patterns, uh, question a lot of my uh, presupposed uh, tacit suppositions, as it may be. And it just made me, you know, an awesome person. Not only that, like it just, you know, blew intimacy up to a different level and sex all of a sudden became amazing. Well, not all of a sudden, but after doing certain things and what have you. So. Uh, so yeah, it was just an amazing journey with, which was probably one of the most rewarding things that I've done in my life. Um, and so forth. Yeah, I think, I think it's really awesome. And I mean, there's a few things and I, I have some sort of background context. So I, I want to bring some of that stuff up. And I also want to talk a little bit about your evolution since I've known you. Um, it wasn't like you slept with 10 or 15 girls. You slept with probably over a hundred. Is that in the right range? Uh, Yes. And just sort of casual hookups, right? You hadn't had a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, when I actually, you know, I remembered like the last time, like I kind of, like I remember like my last unfulfilling experience of sex was like I was dating this girl and it was agreed upon that this was nothing but just casual sex. And she was fine with it. Like there was no strings attached whatsoever. And I was just not feeling fulfilled. And like at some point I was like, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. And she just couldn't understand why. And I'm like, I can't tell you why. Like she was getting something out of it and I wasn't. And that was like such, you know, a realization that I'm like, you know what? Somebody can enjoy sex so much and I just don't enjoy it for me. It's just become a burden. And I never thought it would come to that. You know, I mean, keep in mind, like, it's just like I dreamed of like being able to like sleep with countless women and so forth. And it just was not fulfilling and I just didn't like the person who I'd become actually in the process. You made a really interesting point the other day in a conversation and I was talking to you about a guy that I've been mentoring and you were saying that there's a lot of shame associated with somebody's sexual ability or potential shame, right? Mm -hmm. you were yeah. Saying, yeah, you were saying that. Like this guy had, hadn't lost his virginity yet and some of his perspectives are so warped right now and I'm trying to figure out how do I get him to a healthier place. And you had a story about something that you experienced that was sort of, sort of profound. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. So 
um, I actually, you know, when I was 23, when I started having sex, right, I, you know, there's so much pressure that we put on ourselves to perform, right? We look at the media and these, you know, archetype seducers and, and what have you. It's like, I wanted to be James Bond, for instance, right? Like the ultimate seducer in my mind and, and what have you. And that's like who, like, you know, the persona that I uh, aspired to be. At one time, Ali, I mean, he was overextended, and this is another life lesson that we could talk about another time, had two, had two Mercedes S-Classes. <laughs> so it, in his probably 20s. So um, I just thought I would bring that up. <laughs> so, and he wasn't a rich guy. He was like a, but it like exactly, goes back to that right? James Bond persona. But we'll, exactly. we'll, maybe we'll explore that later, later on. But it was part of sort of the projection of, how to be like this ultimate seducer and yeah. um yeah maybe we'll explore it later on but keep going with the story yeah no it, so um so yeah i mean like you know i tried to create a life or at least like the illusion that i was him to, to some extent right and um you know you look at james bond and like he's you know he just walks into any place like says a couple of like words to a woman and phrases and like she's all all over him and and what have you now i'll get get to that in a little bit but uh, you know as to like what kind of like internal dialogue he has but in actuality like you know media like portrays these male figures that are um you know that are powerful that are seducers and so forth and you know obviously like you know james bond is portrayed as a hero uh, like you know many other uh hollywood heroes and so forth but uh i think it's a very very negative role model and uh if you look at ian fleming the creator of james bond like he was like chronically depressed had always problems with the relationships and so forth right so it's almost like we turn to media for you know and these role you know media you know, and the depictions of heroes as role models and so forth, but they're really, really, really broken. We definitely do. And one of the challenges with James Bond and even um, the actor who plays him was saying, keeps saying he's done with him because he doesn't have any dimension, right? And so he's like a one-dimensional male fantasy, right? Like I just walk up, I tell a girl I want to take you home, she leaves. I just walk up, I get the nicest cars. I walk up, I get the coolest weapons. I walk up like... He literally is like, there's zero depth to him. And, but at the same time, for guys, like we need models. I mean, we learn how to be a man from really observation and trial and error. And if you're lucky through conversations and experiences, deeper conversations with your male models. But if you don't have that, if you're a guy who's listening to this, I mean, I definitely felt like that. I mean, I had a pretty good dad, but. He died when I was really young, as you know, and I mean, when I say really young, in my early 20s, when I probably needed him the most as like a male model. And so I didn't really have that. And what do we turn to? We turn to the things that are around us. And part of those are definitely media images. So I agree with you. When you're a young guy and you're just like, how do I get girls? And you look at James Bond, and you're like, he dresses cool. He drives cool cars. He gets to travel all around the world. He has the most beautiful women. He doesn't really have to do anything. Like there's no depth, there's no human connection. <laughs> yeah, James Bond is definitely not a model for like a healthy male or like even what it means to be a fulfilled person. Like he runs around and kills people for a living. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, uh, you're talking about like some of the issues that I uh, actually encountered. So let me just tell you, you know, my greatest fear. Um, well, you know, before I get into that, there are three types of men when it comes to, you know. Uh, when it comes to sex, 
There's one guy who wants to get himself off and doesn't give a shit about the woman. The second kind of guy is wants to get the woman off so he could feel good about himself and his, his ego will be inflated uh, and so forth. And the third guy is somebody who has sex without ego and has no expectations, but at the same time really cares about the woman that he's with. So I was the second guy for the longest time. Like I really wanted to get the woman that I was off. Um, but it was mostly for internal ego gratification. So the funny thing is like at 23, like the first time that I had sex, I was so paranoid that I was going to ejaculate prematurely just because I masturbated a lot. And normally that didn't last that long. <laughs> so on like eBay, I find like this desensitizer called, you know, I'm not even going <laughs> to, I'm not even going to reveal his name because I know a lot of men will. Uh, go and try to buy it. That's not what I'd recommend, but that's what I did. So for the longest time, like I would actually desensitize my uh, my genitals in order to actually have longer sex, and then I would actually lose the feeling of sex. And there's a funny story. There there was a girl that I was dating, and um, uh, you know we dated on and off for a while. And I remember one night, like she uh, goes down on me and she emerges from <laughs> under the blanket and she tells me, Ali, I cannot feel my mouth. Do you have anything <laughs> on your cock? And I'm like, I'm like, yo, uh, you having a reaction to KY jelly. <laughs> and she's like, why would you put KY jelly in, you know, on your genitals? I'm like, well, I, you know, just did it because I wanted some lubrication and so forth. So the poor girl thought for the longest time that she was. Uh, that she was uh, allergic to KY jelly and like she's still a friend of mine. So years later, I told her, by the way, you know what? Uh, remember back then? That was not KY jelly. You're fine with it. It was something else. And she's like, I knew it. So anyways, that's actually how embarrassed I was of, you know, uh, not being able to fulfill or satisfy the woman um, and uh, and so forth. So so coming forward, like I I spent like a lot of time figuring out uh, before it was just like to get the woman off, but naturality, like I was coming from a place of ego, right? It was not from a place of connection and what have you. And once I kind of let that ego go and like had uh, and actually accepted, it's okay if I'm not good in bed uh, and what have you. And then, you know, just a lot of things opened up as far as intimacy and connection is concerned for me. This made me think of a few things. One, I had a conversation the other day and I was talking, I and mean, we've been talking about um, some of the books you read on tantric sex. I was talking to somebody else about the same subject, and he was telling me that when he first read the books, it was so he felt so empowered. He had sex with this girl, and he made her count every time he that she orgasmed out, out loud, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like it like yell it out, and right. it was, and I said that sounds a little self absorbed, and he's like, I wasn't in a very good place. <laughs> But, um, I just, I thought, I thought it was funny because, but you know, like I had to go through that place to get to the place I am now. And, uh, I just, I remember hearing that and it like, I mean, now I'm laughing about it, but, but it was like that same thing. He was coming from this place of ego. I know I've, I've done all three. Well, in the first two, I was just sort of, I was being self-absorbed or I was reacting to sort of traumas and was disconnected and was just sort of trying to get through the act of sex. I have done the second where um, I was so focused on her, but I wasn't focused on my needs at all. And then the third, and, and this is an active process, is just being really present, right? Being aware. And sometimes in life shit happens and things come up and it's hard to do that. But um, there's definitely tools to become more present during sex. And I know we're going we're gonna to get to some of those in, the, in this podcast. Um, the 
other thing that came to my mind is going back to the shame question I, I asked. I was thinking more specifically about the conversation you had with a friend who said he wasn't really that good with women and how you had said to me that for a long time you tied your self-worth to your ability to seduce women. And I think that's something that's really common. It's something that with the guy that I was mentoring, I'm finding the same issue coming up. He just keeps trying to pull women back to his place. And I'm like, hey, there's a story the other day where he tried to pull this girl. He told me, he's like, I, I just, I was walking home. She was standing next to me, like, or she was walking next to me. Did you talk to her at all? No, but she, I know she liked me because she was standing next to me or she's walking next to me. How do you know she's not walking home in the same direction, right? Like, is she obligated to get up and walk across the street? So she'd be on the other side of the street. Like, it's just stupid. And, um, but then he said he got to his door and goes, Hey, Hey, do you want to come in my house? And I'm just like, she probably was fucking freaked out. She probably went home and told her friends that like some weird guy tried to like get me into his house. And he didn't even see that. He was so focused on sort of his own agenda and his own needs. And I told him, look, man, you should never try to pull a girl into your home if you can't get her phone number, if she doesn't feel comfortable enough with you or attracted enough or if there's enough of a connection that she wouldn't meet up with you in a public place. Like you, you had never even talked to this girl. Do you know how much you probably weirded her out? And I, I know what happened. He's like, he's watching YouTube videos. He's reading books about what he thinks are like James Bond type seduction figures and just trying to do that because he thinks it's normal because he hasn't had the right male models. And then he, and he's stuck in his ego and just sort of, he's coming in with such an agenda instead of trying to connect. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, there is something to be said about, uh, the lies that we t tell ourselves as well too. Um, and the things that we don't admit to ourselves. And I think that could, you know, that that's something that's been a really profound realization for me. And when it comes to even approaching a woman for the first time or being intimate with her, I'll kind of give you an example. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about like him walking this girl, walking with this girl, and he's not even talking to her or whatnot. So in his mind, he's convinced himself or he's actually hoping that this girl likes me, this girl likes me, this girl likes me. And that's kind of a, like a lie that you, you know, end up believing at the same time, you know, there are some deeper issues that are going on where deep down inside, he's like, I'm not sufficient. I'm not sufficient. I'm not sufficient. And I need this to validate myself. And, um, I feel like, um, like getting over stuff like this, you know, like we had a conversation about this friend of mine. Uh, he told me something very interesting, which really changed my outlook about how I approach intimacy and how I ex approach acceptance uh, of myself and other people accepting me. So he's 23 years old and uh, I'm not going to mention the drug, but his grandfather actually uh, invented one of, well, there are only two uh, large, uh, you know, worldwide known uh, drugs for men's uh, uh, potency and uh, sexual. Um, they give you. Uh, they give you. They right? give you erections. They, they you give you a boner. Exactly. <laughs> right? So his grandfather actually uh, discovered this drug. You know, and he's he's 23 years old, my age, and absolutely, you know. Uh, not proficient when it came came to talking to women. So I'm like, dude, your grandfather must be tossing and turning in your in his grave. Like he invented this drug, and you're not even, you know, you're not even in the ball game. And uh, you know, I, you know, he's a very good friend of mine and whatnot. We went to school at Berkeley together. And um, you know, he said something interesting. Uh, actually, he didn't. I kind of like picked something up that like he was a virgin. He was fine with it. And I'm like, 
what on earth? And he's like, and even like he would see me, you know, dating multiple women and, you know, going around and scooting around. Like it just wouldn't make him feel bad. Like it was like he didn't like associate shame with the fact that he couldn't talk to women. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I just can't talk to women. And he was like very open about it, even with women for that matter of fact. Right. And, um, and, you know, obviously now he's kind of like come out of a shell and so forth, but he like just laughed at his insecurities, you know, so. I actually took something from that because, you know, t for the longest time when it came for me to approaching a woman, even like till this day, like I'm actually seeing somebody that right now. But prior to that, you know, uh, when I went ahead and approached somebody, um, there was kind of like a lot of anxiety and I would like just buckle up inside. Right. And like from George, I kind of learned I'm like I would actually when I would you know, start talking to him, I would start laughing. I'm like, dude, you have no idea how freaking nervous you make me. What is it about you? Right. It would just be this nervous energy coming out, but I would not be hiding. It. It's like, I'm not going to be that, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be somebody I'm not. I'm just like a regular guy who like goes through emotions and women would really find that really authentic. And I found that really true to my spirit as well too, because I was not trying to go ahead and present a persona, which was not me. And even like when it comes to sex, right? Like I, will when i'm actually intimate with somebody and like the girl that i'm dating and whatnot like all my insecurities would you know um i would like share them with me like for instance like i was thought i had a small penis right and i'm fine with that but at the same time like a few years ago i never could admit something like that uh you know even to myself leave alone with somebody else and it's just you know whenever you laugh it's an insecurity that you have and you bring it out uh in front of somebody uh, that actually, you know, allows for a deeper connection because now all of a sudden, like you're letting your ego be and you're like, you know what, the reason why I'm bringing this up is I know this is going to be a barrier between myself and connecting with you. And it's just fun to laugh at everything. Like if you can't get your dick up, fucking laugh about it. If you can't like last that long, you know, like share that with somebody and be like, yeah, this is my issue and I need your support. Um, and you know, when it comes to uh, women like they will understand we are men sometimes are boneheads We keep everything internally and women are there to support us just like we're there to protect them and I really feel in this world, you know, we just vulnerability and Authenticity when it comes to relationships. That's actually eroding and that's actually where we need to be in order to have really deep deep fulfilling connections I was thinking about a few things and I want to move on to the next stage of your story. Um, but some of the things I've been thinking of are related to sort of erectile dysfunction. And I remember guys just coming to me over the years saying like, I was with this girl and I couldn't get it up. And usually I'd be like, well, you should go talk to a doctor and find out what's going on. Like find out, see what's happening with your body. But in most cases, it was anxiety. The issue was anxiety. They're worried about the size of their penis or the shape of their body or like, I mean, there's something about the way that they looked. They were so concerned about the way she thought that anxiety didn't allow them to be present in the moment. And they were judging themselves way more than the girl was ever going to judge them. Um, but they, they felt vulnerable. They felt naked and they felt vulnerable. And they felt exposed and that they were going to be picked apart and, and they had trouble getting it up. And I know girls who, who had similar issues. They couldn't orgasm, them, especially early on in um, relationships or early on in their sexual lives because... They were so self-conscious about being naked, being vulnerable, that they weren't in the moment. They couldn't relax. And so um, I just thought I would bring that up because I've had a few guys come up with this sort of bravado excuses of why it didn't go down. And then 
when I dig deeper, I end up finding out it's usually some type of anxiety. But whether it's anxiety or whether it's something that's happening in your body, you need to take testosterone supplements or something. Like there's definitely resources available, right? Like there's doctors and there's health specialists. And as guys, like you said, we try to compartmentalize things and we try to suppress them because we're worried that they're going to make us look weak. But the reality is the more we suppress these things, and I've done it in my own life, the more the weaker we become, right? And the more vulnerable to really having something go wrong. Um, so I just want to say that, that if you're a guy who's experiencing these things, there are resources available. And whether it's a Viagra or something like that, or you're going to something deeper, because that really is just sort of a cover for something else that's happening with you, right? And so ideally what you want to do is get to the real root of the problem and resolve it or work through it, identify it and work through it. But I just want, I wanted to mention that. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I, you know, it's amazing that you brought this up and this is really, really important. Um, so look at like the mental health sphere right now, right? Everybody's on antidepressants and nobody goes ahead and addresses the root cause. So you become addicted to antidepressants and what have you. Like they, you know, and Viagra and Cialis, I think, are very similar in that sense. They don't go ahead and um, they don't address the root root cause of your sexual infertility or erectile dysfunction and so forth. Yes, some some men may have issues with testosterone. Then that's different. Most men do not. You know, so I would say you're better off actually like reading something on tantric sex, going to a sex therapist, uh, finding out what are the mental um, blocks that are keeping you from this because the maj vast majority of men actually need some kind of therapy and uh, not like, you know, I, and I think like Viagra and Cialis just should be a crutch. It shouldn't be a lifestyle. And, you know, I know, you know, men at like 85 years old have perfect, amazing sex lives uh, and what have you because it's something that they've worked on. It's not like, you know, they they don't kind of like they're not beholden to their fate. And, you know, sex takes a little bit of work. And we, you know, same thing with people often, you know, when we get into depression, you know, uh, antidepressants are easy to acquire. And then that means that, OK, our problem solved. But in actuality, it's not, you know, whatever the uh, underlying issues are, they're not addressed. And uh, with depression and the same thing with, you know, uh, with sex when it comes to men. So you you know, that's a really, really good point worth making. There are many resources, like you said, um, you know, there are many books and so forth on, uh, you know, how to actually, you know, enjoy sex, how to be fulfilled in sex and so forth. And obviously, I, I, it's beyond me why Americans do not go to sex therapy. Maybe it's kind of like an ego thing or whatnot, or maybe it's just too vulnerable. We'll, we may go to a shrink, but we'll not go to a sex therapist. And I think that's one of the most underutilized resources that that we have here. I think you're right. I mean, I've really become interested uh, recently in, in the idea of functional health. And are you familiar with that term? Uh, well, uh, somewhat, but I do expand on it. Yeah. So I was at this talk the other day and this girl founded this company and they just raised like 10 million bucks. They're expanding and they are a, they focus on functional health. And one of the things that she said was she's a doctor. She goes somewhere around 80% of all diseases are preventable through lifestyle changes or curable through lifestyle changes 
And so she started talking about some of the things that she deals with. And, and there are things from infertility to sleep to anxiety to depression. I don't remember if uh, erections, erectile dysfunction came. <laughs> came it came up. <laughs> it's a joke, right. joke in there, right? Um, but I don't know if that came up, but it's definitely in the same, it's in the same world, right? And so the idea is like how, instead of prescribing prescription, you like they might prescribe meditation. <laughs> and so the whole idea is how do you, deal with the root causes, right? Like we put pesticides on food and and it's essentially poison. So like she, one of the things that she said was food is actually the best medicine. Like it is our, it is our best medicine. And I think she was coming from the context that like we eat it every day. So what is the quality of your food? What is the quality of your air, right? With meditation, it's like that voice that goes on in all of our heads. Sometimes we lose control over it. And when it sort of goes haywire and we're in these emotional circles, like, do we have tools to walk ourselves out of it? So we're not reacting to, to the past. We're not reacting to our projections and what we think we should be doing in the future. You're just present. And when you do that, your mind calms. Like, I've gone through all that. And so, like, so I'm just really fascinated with the subject because, as she said, she goes, it's not great for the pharmaceutical industry. Right? They just want to keep selling your pills. Um, but there are solutions that are out there and there's resources and this idea of functional health has become really fascinating to me. And, um, I, th I think it's something that I want to continue to explore. It's something our producer of this podcast, Mike has been into for about three or four years now, back to when he was an intern for us. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of resources out there. And as guys, I know it can be embarrassing. I remember the very first time I had to get a physical and a girl did it and I was so embarrassed. Um, I was like in junior high school or something for football. And I remember going back and telling my aunt and my mom and my aunt's like the first time. And I was like, what does that mean? But I was just like, it was embarrassing. And it and, um, still makes me smile. But like, I know these things can feel embarrassing, but the best thing you can possibly do is go out there and utilize the resources that are available to you and don't be embarrassed about it just just do it and with that i kind of want to move to the second part of your story right like susan <laughs> uh as you described her caused you to go on a journey and we've talked about a lot of these things that you've done you got into mindfulness you went to some men's retreats you started doing reading books i mean you've done a massive amount of things over the last five years that have made you a much more incredible person. Like I've, I've always loved you, but like there's just so much more depth to you. Um, there's so much more there as a human being. And I'm wondering if you can start to explore some of the things that you did so that the people who are listening to this, who might feel a little lost, they'll understand. And then next we'll talk a little bit about the payoff, what it's meant for your relationships. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, pedaling back a little bit. My father passed away when I was in my late 20s and we had kind of a distant relationship when he passed, right? And that really made me question like what kind of person I'd become because I remember my mom calling me and telling me, you know, that, hey, your dad has passed and my mom and my dad are not together. Um, and I literally had like no reaction to it. Like I was totally numb. And, um, in actuality, like I just suppressed the love that I had for my dad just because I was hurt so much. And it was just circumstance. It was like he did his best, but it was just circumstance that we grew apart uh, as father and son. 
and that you know slowly over the years like that just you know somehow like it's almost like one of my very good friends josh said that your father had to die for you to find yourself um and you know that like i started living with a lot of guilt that you know when my dad died he died alone in a motel room and i was like what kind of person was i that i had like two benzes in my house even my commuter was a benz i lived in you know a half million dollar house and i was like and my dad dies broke so that kind of like set me on an emotional journey where you know i ended up taking like this very very intense uh you know group therapy seminar that was like five days intensive and that kind of like just opened up many other possibilities because I came out like so, so transformed after that, uh, you know, was able to like pinpoint so many blind spots that I had and, and heal those as well too. You know, I was able to let go of, you know, the guilt of my dad and kind of like was able to mend his, that relationship. So after that point, like I did, you know, Tony Robbins walked on fire. This was, that was a really interesting story. <laughs> and, uh, did a 10-day, 11-day meditation retreat called Vipassana. Uh, they have it all over the world and and what have you, where you sit 10 days in silence and you meditate waking up 4 o'clock in the morning until 8 at night every day. So that was like emotional and mindfulness boot camp, really. Um, and I read quite a lot. I think one of my you know greatest teachers has been Eckhart Tolle. I, you know, the first book that I read was On Spirituality Was a New Earth. And, you know, so I kind of like took a holistic approach and I knew that somehow, like, if I just take care of myself emotionally and spiritually, other things are going to come into play. And that started paying off. So, uh, like right after, uh, you know, Susan, I pretty much, you know, right around that time, I pretty much told myself that, you know what, I'm going to say no to disconnected physical relationships. And what I actually didn't know that what my body was calling for is kind of like a little bit of a detox, well, you know, for a protracted amount of time. So I gave up on, you know, uh, porn didn't feel right. And at the same time, I'd spoken to a sex therapist and she's like, porn's the worst thing you can do uh, for your sex life. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later. And then she also basically said that if you could give up on masturbation, but not masturbation fully but do not ejaculate if you masturbate i'm like what are you shitting me like the best thing about masturbation is ejaculation so um anyways for so for about uh two and a half years i you know gave up on porn uh gave up on ejaculation and uh basically yeah it exactly and sex as well too it was not like i was not open to somebody coming into my life and so forth but i was like you know what if i don't have an authentic bond with somebody i'm just not going to have sex so that actually meant you know for the first time saying no to a lot of women that i was not interested in uh you know emotionally and spiritually but obviously these were women that i had always said yes to before these kinds of women that i was just physically very attracted to and that really opened up a lot of things for my own self-esteem because then i kind of figured out that hey i was actually using sex to medicate myself um and disconnected physical relationships you know how we Talk about like, you know, when somebody would ask me, hey, uh, Ali, why, why aren't you in a relationship and so forth? I'm like, I don't want to settle. Uh, that's why I'm, I'm not with somebody. That was my standard answer through my early 30s and 20s. But in actuality, every time I got into a disconnected physical relationship, I was settling. And I was just lying to myself. So that realization kind of spawned just this beautiful journey. And I tell you like those two, two and a half years that I spent, you know, kind of being inadvertently celibate 
were like the most wholesome, most beautiful uh, years of my life where I was like, wow, like I've never had so much peace. Like I was off these dating apps that, you know, I depended on so much, you know, I was not like going to bars as much, uh, not like chasing every girl that I saw. And, you know, all of a sudden I, I kind of realized that, dude, like I used to think about sex like every hour and now it's like not even in my periphery, right? Like sex did not have control over me any longer. Still, I would go and talk to a girl that I was interested in, seeing if there was a spark and whatnot, and if that's what I was looking for. But at the same time, like my interactions with women changed quite a lot. There was just uh, this amazing sense of empowerment. And uh, two and a half year, years later, like when I kind of like broke the spell, um, I had like the most amazing sex of my life. Um, and like it was like beyond you know, my wildest dreams and still like the sex life that continued after that was just like the most fulfilling, uh, sex life I could have ever imagined. I want to get to that shortly, but I want to sort of focus a little bit on some of the things that you were sharing. Not only did you take all these courses and I want to talk about what you got out of them. You also wrote this article that got published in the good man project. Um, like it was like a letter to all the women that you never called back and it went viral. And I remember I, you told me you wrote it and like very shortly after they're like approaching like a thousand shares or something crazy like that. At the time, I just said like, you're being way too hard on yourself. And I think I told you um, I had seen this interview with John Mayer and John Mayer was talking about how basically hadn't dated for like five years and he was going through basically going through a cleanse. And I remember listening to him going, he's being too hard on himself. And he, he's a guy actually, uh, I've actually met a few times. I don't know if you'd remember, but I've met him um, a couple of times like in New York City at different events or, or like in different venues. I used to have an ex who used to live around the corner from him. So we'd run into him with some level of regularity. And um, when you wrote that article, I thought about him and thought about that shame. But I didn't quite understand where you're coming from. And I realized way later on that for you, this was like, a necessary act of cleansing, right? It's almost like when you go and get sushi and the, you eat the ginger and it cleanses your palate. Like it, I, at least I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for you, that was sort of part of this process of, of cleansing is something like you felt like you needed to do. Is that true? Uh, yes. Um, you know, the article was called a letter to the woman I never called back. And it was actually, uh, I wrote it to, when I wrote it, I didn't have anybody specific in mind, but just, you know, the average relationship that I had, which was like we had a sex a few times and then, you know, I somehow like had this ability to fake intimacy and the girl would, would be into me and I would be like totally disconnected. So it was almost like me using them for sex and like leading them on um, and uh, and what have you. And then later on, I figured out like when I, you know, took all these like transformation courses and so forth, you know, I. I was like, you know what? I'm not really authentic. Like I never tell a woman what my intentions are. And, um, that like made me realize like there's a lot of men who've treated women like this. And I, I used to always basically talk about like women are pretty fucked up because of the fact that the way men treat them. And I'm like, you know, if, you know, these men would stop treating women like assholes, uh, things would be so much easier for me. Right. And then I realized, you know what? I am what's what's wrong with the world right now. Um, and I penned this article, uh, before I penned it, it was a, uh, it was a journal entry. So I didn't have 
aspirations of getting a publisher or anything to that extent. So I kind of used it myself as a journal entry to, you know, kind of grapple with my past, right, and being uh, and bringing some closure. And then I'm like, you know what? I should put it out because it was like a very, very difficult thing for me to like share this. Like for me, I never shared like how many women that I'd been with. Even like some of my closer female friends didn't kind of like know that I was like, you know, this guy who like used women like this and whatnot. But I'm like, you know what? I get to put this out there because there are women that kind of need to understand, right? Because normally the women that I didn't call back thought that they were not enough, right? And they never kind of like got into my mind. They always thought that I was a good guy. I always like ended things um, with them thinking that, okay, yeah, he was just not into me. And that's not really what it was. It was just like, I was not into myself. I was not like tuning in. Uh, and I was just not ready for intimacy. So this article was, you know, it was kind of like geared more towards women, I feel, but there are a lot of, and I feel like a lot of men, uh, for the most part that read it, if they were not at the right place, they would not get it as to what I was talking about. Right. And I remember having this conversation with you and you're like, yeah, you're being too hard on yourself. I'm like, yeah, actually, I'm really not. I'm actually at peace with it. Uh, but the reason why I want to put this is actually for women to understand what goes through, you know, a guy's mind. And in that article I talked about basically, you know, uh, my own inauthenticity and my own fear of, uh, you know, intimacy. And at the same time, uh, you know, like how I was judgmental of many things in myself. Um, so, so yeah, so that article was definitely, I mean, that journal entry started with kind of like a self cleanse. And after that, I basically told myself that if I'm going to have any kind of relationship, I would always tell a woman what I want from her. So now, uh, and that actually has been really, 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 really helpful because I, I'm a very strong proponent of like putting your intentions out for it. If you just want to have sex with, with a woman, like tell her, like we live in an age where women thankfully are empowered and we can have these conversations and so forth. And a lot of times women just want to have sex. What they don't want is some guy that's going to lead them on and think it's something else and what have you. And they let themselves fall and you're totally disconnected because you know, as men, we've been, you know, we've been told that uh, all women want is a relationship and they want to get married and so forth. But in actuality, women just want respect. They want authenticity and for you to communicate and whatever that is. So I've, I actually just encourage all men to actually come forth and practice that. It's easier said than done. But if you start doing that, I think your intimate sex lives are going to be very, very different because then all of a sudden nothing is going to be left inside and everything's going to be on the table. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious and I know that you are about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website, 
Crowd Charisma Live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows, attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I want to take a step back, and you talked about all these different things that you did, right? And so if somebody who's not acquainted with this world of resources, to them it might just sound like a barrage of sort of shit you went to, right? And But it doesn't really explain sort of what were the things that you gained as a consequence of them, right? Like, what did you gain out of going to a 10-day yoga retreat? What did you gain from going to this, like, intensive course? I know that you actually did two of them, right? And because, we like, we've talked about it. Like, what were the types of things that you saw? What were the types of things that you heard? What were the type of things that you experienced? And how did that bring you to a place where you feel a lot more whole? Then you did it another time. Yeah. So where do I start with this? It's <clears throat> let's just say this. Uh, you know, within a few months, like my closest friends and family were started. You know, this comment started going around that I started hearing. Like you're a different person now. Like they could feel it. It's not like something that I was doing. They could just feel that there was a much, much greater calmness in my presence and self-acceptance and love. And um, <clears throat> that's actually what the feedback that I was getting. And I knew that something of a profound shift had, had taken place. But uh, it was like, you know, I, I live with like a lot of anger issues as well, too. Like I had like a lot of self-hate, which I kind of realized when, you know, I took that first, you know, transformational course. Um, and that, you know, it's almost like I'm at a loss. Like, where do I start with this? Like, it was so, so profound. What were some of the things that you hated about yourself? I mean, I've gone through, I, we've talked about this. I've gone through really similar things. I fucked up, as you know, fucked up a relationship with probably the coolest girl I've ever met. And because I was emotionally and physically blocking her as a consequence of dealing with sort of both unresolved traumas um, that I was reacting to, which was making me disconnected and sort of like projections and the future. And like that experience, something that's happened in the last year was a life altering experience. I, um, it's something I'm still trying to process and, and learn from and grow because for myself, and we've t- talked about this, I'm just sharing this with the listeners so that they understand. Like I know that I'm a model for a lot of guys, um, but I want them to understand that like this, this is stuff that's going to happen. Even when you think you have things figured out, you do have figured out. You're going to fall off your skateboard or horse or bike or whatever. Like shit, li- life goes sideways sometimes. And, and when you, when it does, like it's important to have these tools. And I didn't always have them and, and, and I'm still developing more. I mean, I went to a men's group last night. It was my first experience with that. But like, and maybe another time I'll talk about what that was like and sort of, um, what it meant. And, but you've been focused on this for a lot longer. So, um, I know that I've dealt with self-hate. I remember one time I told my girlfriend, if I ever died, I wanted to be uh, swept up into a garbage can. <laughs> and I just like, and I met, I met it. <laughs> and um, I just like didn't think I had any value. And I think a lot of that has, was tied to, I mean, I know that's tied to like being kicked out at 18 and feeling abandoned and, and having to deal with uh, my dad dying at a pretty young age and feeling abandoned again. And some of the reactions, I remember after his funeral, his, uh, his coworkers like told me, I held your dad while I cried because you told him he wasn't a good dad. And I carried around that for a long time. And I told him that when I was like a 17-year-old teenager who was just rebelling. Um, 
but like these things came up over and over uh, when I was forced to drop out of school because I didn't have money even though I was incoming class president and running for student body president. I got kicked out four or five places. I was trying to build craft of charisma for things that were really out of, outside of my control. Like um, one of them, I was trying to defend a, a girlfriend because the landlords were harassing her. And I said, you guys can't do this. They kicked me out. I didn't have a lease. Like there's like there's a lot of traumas that were were popping up and eventually i talked about this before i gave myself a breakdown we've talked a lot about this i kept trying to compartmentalize compartmentalize control 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 and it's like i kept putting more and more pressure in a balloon and eventually that thing popped and then i just sort of got like scared of people and i was scared of inanimate objects i was fucked up but like like i only felt safe like alone by myself and eventually like i got to a point where i sort of worked myself out of it but like for a while, I thought I was going to have to institutionalize myself. I even told a, a girlfriend, like, I'm losing my mind. But I ended up sort of worked through it. And in some ways, I'm still working through it, right? Like, I think that these experiences blocked me in my last relationship. And it was quite profound. Like, it was profound because for me, I understood that I felt certain feelings for somebody. And she didn't, she really liked me, but she didn't realize I was not able to make her feel the things that I felt for her. Again, like we've talked about this a lot, but it was a wake-up call for me and it made me realize that I had to do something different and made me go out and seek some of the tools that were out there. Because like you said earlier, I mean, I still think I can walk into a bar on any night and pick somebody up and take them home if I want to, but it just doesn't have the same feeling. And if you're a guy listening to this, you, that might be where you're at. <laughs> and that's part. It's definitely part of the journey. Like there's this, usually guys when they're starting out just like want to get girls and they want to date more attractive women. Like I, I went through that. I dated the most educated, the most beautiful supermodels had sex with Playboy Man. Just had all kinds of crazy experiences that like a lot of guys would probably fantasize about. I mean, I mean, they were cool at the time, but like, you get to a point where you want to try date more desirable women, and you get to a point where I am at now, and you you're at now, where you just want to have deep emotional connection. You want a partner. You want. I mean, at least correct me if I'm wrong, but like, this is the place that I'm I'm at now. I realize like. You have to do that personal work so that way we can have that really deep connection that so many people don't have. So anyway, I, I just went on a rant about some of the events that happened in my life and some of the shame that I, I had because I want the listeners as a model to hear it. But I'm wondering if you can share some of the things that were happening in your mind and soul and body. Well, Chris, I mean, first of all, man, let me just commend you. It's you know, it takes a lot of courage to share all this stuff. And, you know, thank you for sharing your journey and the fact that, you know, all of us live within imperfections because there are so many leaders, thought leaders out there that just are broken inside and just do not give an inch to anybody when it comes to vulnerability. And uh, I think I need to hear this, that, you know, everybody has a journey and everybody goes through struggles. I mean, like I go through them every day. It's like we will go through these struggles for the rest of our lives. And that's what growth really is for you to kind of, you know, acknowledge them and just work on them. And that's how you, I think you end up becoming a better person. And I'm so proud of you for that. Um, so for me, it was just like, you know, my relationship with my dad, like after he died, like I lived with the guilt, uh, that was like huge. And for that, like in my mind, like I was just a vicious person to myself. Like there was a voice in my mind that just chopped me down to size every freaking time. And it was just nasty. And uh, that really like ate away at like my self-esteem as like a human being. And at the same time, like I just became angry inside due to that. Right. So sometimes you're angry at yourself and you kind of like, 
you and it manifests with you know externalizing anger and uh, and so forth. But uh, so that's one of them. The other thing that you know uh, that I was angry about is like maybe I'm not good looking enough. Like I can't talk to women the way I want to talk to women. My voice sounds like shit. Just like I was critical of myself to just such you know a ridiculous degree. Uh, there's, I couldn't do anything right. Like er, anything that I did was not enough. Like if I, you know, at 31, I went to Berkeley and, uh, you know, went to school after like 10 or 12 years and got a degree. That was like one of my lifetime, you know, uh, goals. And like after I graduated, I'm like, yeah, this means nothing. You're still like this worthless piece of crap. And, and what have you, just so that you have a degree doesn't mean anything. So, um, I mean, it was, you know, that was just like a reoccurring pattern that was going on in my mind and career wise, like I gave myself credit for nothing at the same time, like in relationships, like I was like, I hated myself so much that I actually just like settled for disconnected relationships too. Like the things, you know, the decisions that I made in life as well too, were like not you know, the best for my emotional well-being, um, and, uh, and so forth. Like I actually wrote like a three page letter to myself, forgiving myself. And like, I have like this journal entry somewhere, like, but if I start reading it, it's just going to be like the most random freaking shit. Like, you know, I had to like forgive myself of like, you know, screwing up a presentation like in school. Like I like judge myself so much that I had to put it down on paper. Like it was just lying there in my subconscious. So, the bigger issue was not the things that I was judging myself for, but the bigger issue was the fact that I was judgmental. And even if I got rid of a few things, unless I just didn't change that dynamic of, you know, uh, of learning how to be compassionate with myself, you know, I wouldn't have really changed. Like I could have let a few things go. And then if I didn't change as a person, um, you know, that meant that like there'd be new stuff that I would, that I would be, you know, taking on. I remember like I was like in this training room and I just like, you know, uh, and like the trainer, like prompt was like, just, I want the, the next two minutes for you to just go ahead and take out all your anger against the person that's fucked you over the most in life and the one that you hate the most. Right. And I couldn't think of anybody but myself. And like for two minutes, like I just went and screamed at myself and like throw <laughs> through punches, uh, just like, you know, being violent to my, towards myself. Like this is like this primal like outpour. And I'm like, wow, I never knew I hated myself as a human being so much. And then, you know, after that, like it was like a war experience that I'm like, okay, why do I hate myself? And then I kind of figured out I hate myself because of the fact that I've turned into the guy that I never wanted to be. I've turned to the guy that who's disconnected. I've turned to the guy that treats women like shit. I've turned to the guy that is inauthentic. Um, uh, you know, and I started making changes in those lives. So now every time, like even if I'm walking by and I'm like, and I see something on the ground and it comes to my mind that if I don't pick this up, I'm going to judge myself. I pick it up all the time. So even like the very, very little things that I know that I'm going to judge myself for, I make sure that, you know, I do them so that I don't, um, you know, so, so that's been a really profound paradigm shift. So now it's like, not angry at myself for anything. Like I, you know, I don't like the, the term love yourself as much because I think it's been taken to an extreme to an unhealthy degree, but that's my, my opinion. But I feel 
the phrase being compassionate towards yourself is very, very powerful for me. I mean, it's, it's a challenge, right? For a lot of us, we're much more compassionate with other people than we are ourselves. And I think there's a, like a, a profound lesson in there. But there's also something like I was thinking about, like this idea that you're going to write a letter to yourself or giving yourself, that had to come from somewhere. Where did it come from? Did someone recommend it? Was this something you felt internally compelled to do? Like a guy, a guy who's in a block, I want to say this really quick. I had this guy who was in, who was in my class last cycle and he ended up not taking the class and, and he came in a place very similar to what you're describing that you were or a place that like I've been and he was so emotionally disconnected that like he was not connecting with everybody. He's just like, how do I pick up girls? That's all he wanted to know how to do. He's like, I don't understand. I used to be good at it. And I'm like, you're protecting yourself so much that you're not connecting with anybody. You're not connecting with other people in the class. You're not connecting with the women you're interacting with. And courtship, relationship, seduction, it's an emotional dialogue. Nothing is more important than how the person feels. And you talked earlier about how you felt about yourself and how you masked that, right? Like you, you created all these different tools to mask that. And this definitely works with less sophisticated women, younger women who don't know how to pick this stuff up. They're just like, oh, he's driving a nice car, he's dressed nice, or he has VIP at the club, or he's buying drinks. And now like um, they've had a few drinks, they're not processing things. But when you start dating higher quality women who have their shit together, they pick this stuff up. Sober women pick this stuff up. They they pay attention to how they feel. And when things don't feel right, they'll withdraw or they'll set up boundaries. And, and so how was it that you were able to, we've talked a little about how you recognize these things, but how were you able to find these tools? What inclined you to do, to do these things? Like write the letters specifically. Yeah. So, I mean, that was like part of like, you know, a training seminar that I took. Um, but prior to that, like, I was doing a little bit of writing myself. Like I always think journaling is really, really, really um, meaningful for me. And I recommend that for anybody. Because if you're going through something in your mind where you just had like an undesirable experience where it's it's going to have profound effects later on and what have you, journal about it and let it, you know, and let your mind, let your monkey brain like, you know, not contemplate on it. Just put it down on paper. It's a very, very good way of letting it go. But I, you know, I just taken these multiple, multiple trainings. Uh, and one of them basically was, you know, writing a letter to, uh, to yourself, forgiving yourself. Another one was I actually wrote a letter to my dad. And now, you know, for instance, you know, I, I, I just like took journaling to the next level where, you know, I recently, you know, two years ago, I lost my grandmother. And I remember like, I just couldn't, like grief for some instance, it was like a block. And like, this is a woman that helped raise me. I was so close to my grandmother. Like this woman meant the world to me. And I was alarmed as to what was going on. So I sat down and I actually wrote a letter where I channeled her. Like I wrote a letter from my grandmother to me. And so I've just done these, you know, creative things with journaling, which has been really, really helpful. So I, you know, invite anybody to experiment with that, whatever you want to journal about, right? You want to journal about an experience. Do you want to journal about an event that happened that you wanting to let go and give a different meaning and so forth instead of just like, you know, anything that your mind is preoccupied by over and over again, that may be worth journaling about if it's been a distasteful experience for you. I thought of a few things. Uh, one is I had an experience like that as well. I remember I was with an ex-girlfriend and we were in the car and I got a text and I was like, oh, my uncle just died. 
and like I didn't really have any reaction and this is probably like nine years ago or something and she's like I don't understand you sometimes and the background on that is he had encouraged me to start a business uh, my first business he didn't follow through I felt completely sort of strung out the business failed I completely fucked up my finances like we've talked about this too you actually helped me with it Uh, Ollie owns a company that does credit repair and I went from a 800 and like 30 FICO score down to like 300 and it was during the financial crash I had started a real estate finance company right as the market was crashing and so he encouraged me to take out money from my grandfather I couldn't pay my grandfather back that was like the most embarrassing thing that had ever happened to me in that point in my life I felt like I like I lost my dignity and like what it meant to be a man I couldn't take care of myself and commit to my responsibilities so anyway, like all this baggage was there and I didn't want to explain all that to her. I just sort of suppressed it. The other thing I want to mention or I thought of was uh, actually related to Schwarzenegger. I remember in pump, watching Pumping Iron and he talks about how his dad died and he told his mom he can't come back and he was trying to train for uh, Mr. Olympia and he's like, I couldn't explain to her like what my trip was and he just came off is completely emotionally disconnected and he knew he was doing it but he he felt like he needed to suppress his emotions in order to deal with his goal or to get to his goal and i thought about that because i mean it's the same thing that you did it's the same thing i did i think it's the same thing that a lot of guys do but I, I started wondering thinking about how maybe those same types of patterns may have affected his relationships later on Specifically, like I, I remember watching this interview where he said that the biggest failure of his life is not getting his wife back. And for those of you who don't know, he his wife left him because he had an affair with his housekeeper and had a baby and never told her until the child got a certain age and looked just like him and was around because he was a housekeeper. And so it all came out and she left him. And... I'm using him because it'd be interesting to talk to him about this, but these things do come up even from, I would consider him a pretty great man. He's accomplished a lot of amazing things. And, uh, I mean, these are things that a lot of us do. I know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot about like what really makes us unfulfilled in relationships, right? We may, some of us may be with the perfect woman and we may have thoughts of being with somebody else, Um, and, you know, and I don't have, you know, an answer to that. All I could basically say is that, you know, sometimes, you know, it could be for some men, maybe it's insufficiency of like not being enough. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, the expectation of what sex is supposed to be, right? So I'm sure he's not in love with his maid or anything to that extent, but it was like sexual variety. And that's probably linked to an unfulfilled sex life. Uh, I personally think because I think porn is one of those things that actually reinforces our need for variety and there are plenty of TED talks on this and like the damaging effects of uh, you know porn and masturbating like those two things combined so uh, so I think you know there are a lot of people that have that a lot of men that have cheated on their wives they claim that they were absolutely 100% in love with their wives and what have you. And a lot of people say that, well, if you cheat on somebody, you're not in love, but perhaps you were, you were just probably at a very dark place and you take them for granted. And perhaps like you never worked on 
sexual fulfillment with somebody. They could be emotionally connected to somebody and spiritually in love, but not like, you know, it's a very different thing to be like sexually, you know, just connected to one person where you're like, you know what, I'm absolutely fulfilled with this person. I do not need another soul in my life for sexual gratification. And I think he, Arnold may have not gotten there. There's a, a few things that come to my mind. Well, one related to Arnold, like he sort of, again, like personifies this, like for a lot of people, this like, idea of what masculinity is, which might not necessarily be healthy. I mean, I think as he's aged, I've watched him do interviews and he seems like he's opened up a lot and grown a lot as a human being over the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, I mean, he's definitely a human being that I admire on for lots of different reasons. Um, he's had his own growth curve or his own growth journey. And I mean, one of the, the coolest things I saw him do, and I didn't expect to be talking about him on the podcast, but on one of his Instagram posts, he posted how much he loves his son. And it just made me so happy that he not only recognized his son, but was showing love for him in a public forum. And I think with all that had happened, he basically like tried to hide it for a long time. And I don't know if the kid knew that his real dad was Arnold Schwarzenegger and just thought it was like his mom's boss. And But to see him recognize that he needed to do that, um, to express that he loved his son and how proud of him he was on, in a public forum, like was just a really awesome model for guys to to look at and say like look like yeah sometimes we make mistakes we make errors or but like we have to pull ourselves together and 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 move past them and going back to your subject of porn and masturbation i want to get i want to get more into this but something else came to my mind and that is there's some people who are listening to this who are going to argue that humans especially men are just not designed biologically to be monogamous. And they're, it's, it's just not in their nature. Like it's not, there's not an evolutionary advantage for men to be monogamous. And th- I mean, that might be true. It might not. I know on a personal level, I feel much more fulfilled when I'm with somebody, I'm in a monogamous relationship. And, and I feel like for me, that has to do with a series of things. And one of being that, like the safety right? Like we're giving up some level of freedom to have sort of emotional, psychological security. And like that security hopefully gives you a space, like for me and my relationships, gives me a space where I can build a deeper connection with another human being. Because in the end, like what I want is to feel loved and accepted, right? By my partner. And I think most people would probably argue something very similar. And so going back to what you were talking about, um, and regarding masturbation and pornography, one of the things that I've learned is it's just important to be present. And sometimes that can be really difficult. Sometimes it can be hard to do just in a conversation, right? Or just sometimes it's hard to be present with yourself or myself to like be able to understand what it is I'm feeling. You talked earlier about intentions. Sometimes we don't know what those intentions are and we're confused, right? So we don't know what we want in this relationship yet. And so based on our conversations and conversation with other people, like it's one of the things I've learned is just how important it is to try to be present with the person that you're with. And instead of comparing them to other people, other people you've been with, other people that you want to be with, just seeing, understanding what's beautiful about them. It's beautiful about that moment. Do you see where I'm going with this? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, I, and, and some of the stuff are things that I picked up from you talking to you about these things. But I, w- I wonder if you can sort of expand on that and then also talk about how porn and how um, masturbation made you less present. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's just, you know, talk about like, you know, we touched on a lot of things, but, you know, there's something uh, that I'd like to discuss with you first about how some people, including myself, I, I actually believe like men were not from an evolutionary perspective wired to be monogamous, right? So that was me that, you know, I would get bored of having sex with the same woman after just a handful of times, like it would just become old for me and then I would move on to the next woman um, and so forth. So, um, so I always thought that I'm like, you can't be content with one woman. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I kind of like didn't push myself to be in a relationship when I was younger, because I was like, there's no way like I could be faithful to one. So I don't want to be the guy that cheats. So let's just, you know, be, uh, emotionally unavailable like George Clooney used to be <laughs> and just leave around as much as he can. And later on, I kind of realized that, you know what? No, not really. I mean, the main thing is that what I, in my 20s and early 30s, I was just having disconnected sex, which was not fulfilling. So for the people that basically talk about like, you know, saying that, well, you know, men will always sleep around and so forth. Well, that actually means that men that really do not find, have not found the proper way to have sex. And what really desensitizes men is, you know, is porn, for instance, right? You're, you know, you're browsing through like this bevy of women that you could have a fantasy with every time you watch porn. You can go through multiple clips and so forth until you find the woman that that looks, you know, perfectly. Uh, that's like a perfect match of what whatever dream girl that you have that you want to have sex with at the time and what have you. So porn makes this variety very, very accessible to people. And all of a sudden we get used to not only variety, but a visual stimulus when it comes to sex. And that is that actually kind of plays itself out in society where men just want variety, right? Men are attracted to shiny things more so than ever before. And I think this is, you know, yeah, sure. There were some men that, you know, uh, were probably more wired for, you know, for, to be polygamous more so than others. But I think with, with porn, that's actually exacerbated the problem. So for me, for instance, right, like I would, you know, the same thing kind of played out itself that I was looking for a visual, visual novelty, right? Seeing a girl naked for the first time was awesome. Like seeing her body while I was having sex was awesome. But a few times after I had sex, I was like, ah, this seems old. And I either had to imagine that I was with somebody else or she had to like put on a different, uh, you know, article of clothing or whatever it may be. And then, you know, when I actually really delved into like what, you know, fulfilling sex really you know, is like, you know, how do you go about having it? You know, I kind of realized that, hey, the visual aspect is not it. You actually have to feel. You have to like look in the person's eye, eyes when you're making love. And, you know, there's a huge difference between just having disconnected sex and making love. And if you actually make love to a woman, I could tell you, you will like pass up so many other women. You know, like the girl that I was with, I was like, you know what, like I would pass up any supermodel right now over this woman to have sex with her because what I have with her is so fucking beautiful. Um, so I, I would say that porn definitely, you know, is not a enabler when it comes to fulfilling sexual relationships and, um, and being present, there's something to be said about that too, is just like, you know, uh, and you 
spoke about how, you know, we need to have an intention. And sometimes that intention may not be very forthcoming to us. So for instance, you know, um, when I, you know, date somebody, I have this intention. I, 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 as you know, I'm an analytical creature. I'm very, very anxious about the future and I'll always try to bring up scenarios in my head. Oh, this could go wrong. This could go wrong. I have to be, you know, uh, I have to be prepared for this or this is what I want to happen. And for at least for me, uh, what I've actually found is that if I just quiet my mind down and when I'm actually on, uh, you know, going to be courting somebody, I basically tell myself that, listen, uh, I have no expectations. I don't want this woman. I don't know if this woman will be the future mother of my children or if this is just going to be a short term thing. But what I do have control over is my intention. And, you know, I'll set, you know, for me, like a very empowering intention is just to be just to make this woman feel secure and just be as affectionate and as loving and as open and honest as I, as I can be, even if that lasts for a night or even if that lasts for the rest of my life. Right. Uh, so therefore, like all my connections are meaningful now, even women that I've just been on one date with or even women that I've, you know, dated for a protracted amount of time and so forth, because I just and I'm like, you know what, I'm not worried about what's going to happen later on. I'm just worried about what I do right now in the present. And that even comes to sex, for instance, like I have this, I, you know, go in telling myself that what if this was the only time I'll ever have sex with this woman and tomorrow the world's going to come to an end? How do I want to have sex with this woman? And what do I want to experience? And that absolutely changes the entire dynamic of how I approach things. Something else you said recently to me, you were talking about how you communicate during sex. Like you were saying the other day that you told your lover that you felt disconnected and started talking about how you were feeling. Can you describe that process for the guys who are listening or girls who are listening? Yeah. So, so a lot of times what would happen for me as well too was that, uh, you know, I would end up having sex and I'd feel very disconnected afterwards and I'd leave it inside me and I would just kind of withdraw inwards and almost shut down and not even talk to a woman. And tell her what's going on with me. So she's basically, you know, she may be thinking that everything's fine and hunky dory, or she may be, you know, uh, catching these cues and, uh, you know, kind of become confused. So I think, so for instance, my, you know, my biggest uh, hurdle was like after sex, like I, you know, normally would, you know, I had like this huge problem with masturbating every day. And after masturbation, I would just like, shut my laptop down and just go about my business. I would just totally disconnect with what had just happened, right? Uh, just because I felt like, okay, I'm done with this and there's no other value to this and so forth and porn is just that. And then I started approaching my relationships like that too. Like after sex, I'd feel so disconnected even though if a woman was staying over the night, I would just be like, okay, yeah, there's, everything's done and you know, like it would be hard for me to even cuddle her. So I remember there was this one woman uh, that I was dating. And, uh, I remember like feeling like this, this disconnection after we ha ended up having sex. And I basically told him like, you know what, I'm feeling very disconnected right now. And I don't want to feel disconnected. I just want to talk this out. And she was really understanding. And she's like, Hey, what's going on? Tell me. And I started like just sharing what's going on. I'm like, yeah, after we had sex, like I, you know, don't feel like hugging you right now. And I don't want to feel this. And then, you know, and she's like, yeah, let it pass. And like, she kind of like guided me through this almost. Uh, but the fact was that she was, you know, uh, women will want to hear what's going on with you as long as, you know, it's a cry 
for help. And that's really what it was. And I felt like my relationship with that woman was like so much stronger after that. Um, the fact that I was sharing what was going on, not because of the fact that I wanted to push her away because I actually didn't want to, I didn't want to be disconnected. And uh, so I actually urge guys to actually just go ahead and share whatever is coming up, you know, whatever your insecurities are, whatever that's in the way, sometimes talking about it with the person that you're with really, really helps. And that could be, you know, something as simple as saying that, hey, I'm kind of nervous and, you know, I've not had sex in a long time or, you know, or I've never had sex or, you know, in my case, like, hey, I feel disconnected sometimes after sex. So bear with me and whatnot. Women will understand because women are there to connect with you. They're, you know, yes, a lot of women just want to have sex, but they want to have connected sex. Nobody, women are much more in tune with that emotion than men are. And we think this connected sex is fine. Therefore, we just want variety after variety with no connection. I think we also worry about exposing our weaknesses and vulnerabilities and being rejected. So sometimes, I mean, I have definitely been guilty of this. Um, I did it with the girl I was talking about earlier where I screwed up this relationship. She would try to bring these things up and I would just deflect and change the subject. And I was just like, again, trying to, to sort of like just keep everything steady, right? And I didn't understand what it meant to have a really open partner who's willing to, to talk and work through these things. It doesn't mean that she's a perfect human being, but she was present and she was, she showed up and like, I was in an emotional place where I was able to, or nor did I have the tools or recognize I had the tools at that moment in order to meet her in the same place. And, and women have their own issues that come up. I, I mean, one of the experiences I had, which was really emotionally traumatic, I was in this girl and she sort of freaked out on me and um, probably because I was partially emotionally disconnected because I was dealing with something was a girl that I dated um, maybe a year or two before. And, and we lived together for a while for seven or eight months. And, and, but she, the first time we had sex, like it started bringing up issues that she had that like she had been raped when she was younger and that brought it up. And she was so, her reaction was so intense that like I didn't want to have sex with her. She's like one of those beautiful girls I've ever met, but I did not feel comfortable having sex with her because her emotional reaction was so strong. And for her, she's just like, well, why don't you act like a man? Like, why don't you want me? Why don't you desire me? But it like it traumatized me. So what I'm getting at is like, maybe I triggered this in her. Maybe she, these are things that she needed to work on. Either way, like it affected me. And what I'm getting at is like, women are going through their own issues and sometimes they will affect us just like our issues are going to affect them when we're having sex with another human being it's like an act that involves two people and things are going to come up and so when you told me that story the other day about how you talk through the situation with this girl and how you were feeling i mean i thought again it just represents how far that you've come and i thought it's just a great model for guys who are listening to our podcast and that's why i wanted you to come on and share it and some of the other things that you picked up it's just like really important that they understand that they can do this because they don't need to have it all together right they don't need to know every position they don't need to last for 10 hours although you had a pretty crazy story the other day where you said you lasted for a long time <laughs> um we'll get to that in a second but the, the title of this is how to be a sex god but um yeah i just i think it's really important that guys listening to this understand that 
you can talk about these things. You don't need to suppress things. You don't need to compartmentalize everything. If you're with the right girl, if, if you start opening up and you're with the wrong girl, you'll find out really quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're going to get ghosted. Uh, that's happened to me quite a lot, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think we've been, you know, talking about like, you know, our internal issues. Uh, actually you have great, you know, going internally is one thing, but I think the other half is understanding and being there for the woman. And I think, you know, you just bought up this phrase, like, how do you go ahead and be a man? And I feel for me, you know, it's like when I'm intimate with somebody is just like being there with them and giving myself with no ego and no expectations. You know, you don't make be a man by demanding that a woman or orgasm for you and so forth. It shouldn't matter to you. You actually want to hold the space and whatever that comes up for her, you want to be as accepting as and, and as loving as it can as you can be. Only then will she feel um, then will she feel comfortable enough to kind of you know explore with you sexually and emotionally and intellectually um you know maybe in the bedroom or maybe you know uh in just regular conversation uh that you have so uh so yeah i i think girls are very very much 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 more complex i think when it comes to sex than men are you know because sometimes you know i remember i dated somebody who told me that she had not had an orgasm for 10 years like with a guy, that's not really possible. <laughs> like everybody has orgasms for the most part, but you know, and this was related to some kind of trauma that she had and, uh, and so forth. And I think guys do have a role to play in supporting women the way they, they can support us and actually like being there for a woman and having that bond where she could be very vulnerable and share, um, you know, her traumas and you help them and counter your support uh, to get over that is like very empowering uh, for men. You know, like I felt that and it's one of the most fulfilling things. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like you being there, you're giving something with nothing in return. And I think when it comes to love and intimacy, it's all about giving. It's not about what you can get. It's about how you can be there for the other person. And so, so much, you know, this culture we talk about like, you know, self-love and so forth. But, you know, I think being in service to other people, even when it comes to philanthropy and not yourself is, you know, the most fulfilling thing. And same thing goes with sex, I think, and uh, love and intimacy. And going back to this girl has an orgasm in 10 years, if you're the guy who makes her feel loved and accepted and she orgasms with you, she's going to be back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, that's how the story went. Like I had... Uh, she'd actually, you know, shared this with me like after we had sex and she orgasmed. She's like, I've not orgasmed in 10 years. And I'm like, that just freaking blew my mind. But at the same time, like it made me feel so much more responsible that, you know what, the things that we do with women have profound consequences. And although we didn't work out, uh, and so forth, but she found the love of my, her life after, you know, it was the next guy that we dated. And again, I was kind of like going through that phase where I was not like fully into it. And uh, so forth. And we're still great friends. And I just like look at that as like such a huge turning point in my life because I'm like, you know what, like the way that you show up to women and the way you treat them really does have profound effects and it, you know, can change lives, not only yours, but theirs. But the other thing that's really important to note there is in order to be in a place where you, f you can do that, like there's a lot of internal work and you talked about it earlier, but I, I want to bring that back up. Like you have to get to a place where you feel like you can do that. 
or you're not not just feel you're you're able to do that you, like you need to be a place where you're able to do that and it's just like it's a lot of internal work for the guys who are listening it's just like really important that you understand this and you, you don't need to do this to get laid as we've well established you don't need to do this to date attractive women but if you want to get to a point where you have meaningful relationships it's essential and sort of like moving on to this next part of this conversation the other day you talked to me about some really crazy crap right you said like you had sex for how long yeah it was uh three days and i think me and you know the woman that i'm dating we kind of like did a tally and it was like 12 or 13 hours with you know of sex uh actually over two days i'm sorry uh over the weekend and it like kind of blew my mind too because after you know i you know just recently i like i got into some kind of a relationship which you know was more than casual sex prior to that like i had a few partners and and whatnot but for the first time like i kind of like really hunkered down after a while like after i've been like studying tantric sex and uh, and i was like wow like this is not humanly possible what does this mean going forward like is sex always going to be like this uh it was just a crazy experience it was like unbelievable just knowing you know no given the fact that like i was a guy that couldn't last more than two minutes and i was like at a you know, at any given time, like we're having sex for like two hours, not including full play. And not only was it, you know, just sex for a long amount of time, but it was just the most amazing connected sex. Like it was like I was on psychedelics. I was like seeing rainbows and stars. So you were saying that <laughs> and, you had full body orgasms. What does that mean? Basically, what happens is that your ejaculation is a gag re reaction to orgasm. It is nothing you know, ejaculation and orgasm are mutually exclusive and so forth. So once you get into the tantric practice of like not ma when you masturbate, you try not to ejaculate. And, you know, the, you call that term edging where you come to the edge and you just like, you know, know where to let off or get your foot off the gas pedal and so forth. And then your body gets and sometimes what happens is that you push through it, you don't ejaculate, and at the same time you start having like a full body experience. Normally with men, the way we have sex is very much con concentrated, you know, in our penis, for instance, right? That's the only thing we feel, right? Our penis becomes erect when we see something beautiful or rubs, rubs against something that we find attractive and so forth. Whereas, you know, with... Um, you know, if in order, but when you have a regular orgasm, you just feel like, you know, the ejaculation and you kind of like feel this drowsiness that later on comes on. There's this, you know, release of melatonin that puts you to sleep that kind of makes you disconnected. And tantric sex is all about like, okay, you know, taking the ejaculation part out of it and, you know, giving you just an amazing, amazing experience, which, you know, involves all your five senses because now, you know, pretty much our sex lives, you know, revolves around a visual feast. And, you know, we, you know, if most of the time, like if you'd asked me like years ago, like, can you tell me what the woman smelled like? What, how warm was her body? Was her body warmer than yours? And to what degree, you know, uh, what did her skin feel like and whatnot? Well, one girl didn't seem any different from the other girl. So, so full body orgasms, you know, comes from when you engage all your five senses and you get into this practice of like, you know, tantric sex where you're not dependent on the visual stimulus of porn that, 
you know, really puts you in the space to have this. So I've been practicing this for about, you know, two and a half, three years. And, you know, the benefits of it finally, like I'm able to see and I'm like, wow, like I'm absolutely blown away, like beyond my wildest dreams. I never could you know, have this conversation. I never thought that I'd be having this conversation with you interviewing me saying that I had sex for 10 hours. It's ridiculous, <laughs> but it happened. So, uh, so yeah. I think this is absolutely awesome. You have an absolutely amazing story. Like you are an absolutely incredible friend. I'm so thankful to have you in my life and so thankful that you shared so many very intimate things with the people who are listening. Cause I, I think there's definitely some people who are going to be listening to this who are looking to try to understand they, they may not even know what questions that they should be asking but i think like you exemplify a model of this evolution that a lot of guys want and need to make and so yeah i just want to thank you for sharing so much i don't know any last sort of tips for people who are trying to make this evolution and want to evolve into a sex god <laughs> <laughs> ten, well, ten, all, hour, like, 10 hours yeah i mean like it lasts for 10 hours like i have women who are incredibly satisfied and feel spiritually fulfilled uh, they're orgasming when it when no one else can make them do it anything else you want to share um well first of all like i'd say you know take your ego out of it because for me just like you know i'm not really comfortable with the title of like how to be you know a sex guy like I don't call myself that I'm just like a regular guy who's really connected to the woman he's with and we have amazing sex together it's not kind of like you know in individual thing and whatnot like what's really you know the reason why we were able to have sex for so long was because of the fact that the bond that and the understanding that we've created together so you know sex is not a solitary experience it's an experience with somebody and it's an experience of connection and I think you know for and I and I say this for guys that are struggling with their sex lives if you're in relationships right now or if you're seeing somebody if you're not fulfilled you know look up you know the TED talks on uh, masturbation for instance look up tantric sex uh, you know and look into there's a couple of reddit groups uh, you know that you know there are I think million or two million strong each where guys are not masturbating or guys are not masturbating and watching porn uh, and so forth. So these are really super helpful things. Um, so I think, you know, for me, the most significant thing I was able to do that helped my sex life again was, you know, not watching porn and, you know, getting into tantric sex, which, you know, you may be cut out for it or not. But one thing that is just going to help, even if you don't want to del delve into tantric sex, is just make sure that if, you know, you're going to masturbate, or and so forth do not ejaculate and it's a practice like you you know build on your uh, pelvic muscles that way and you build on your prostate muscles and you can last longer not only it is about lasting longer but the feeling in sex comes back as well too and you won't have to have like you know you don't have to suffer issues with erectile dysfunction and uh, premature ejaculation like a lot of us do and uh, you're gonna have you're gonna be satisfied you're gonna have a much more meaningful uh, connected sexual relationship with the person that you're with and uh, So there's a lot of stuff on the internet. There are a lot of videos as well too. a book that I do recommend on tantric sex And I think me and you Chris have spoken about is tantric sex for men making love and meditation by Diana Richardson and Michael Richardson uh, as well, so uh, So yeah explore and just know that they are answers you are not beholden to the current fate that is there if you truly make a um, conscious effort to change things in your life. There's help out there. You just have to seek it. 
And uh, lastly, you know, my website is going to have some more uh, tools on there for you. Uh, if you subscribe to my newsletter, uh, that will, you know, I'll be sharing a few things with you. It's alizain.net. So it's A-L-I-Z-A-I-N.net. Okay, cool. I want to add one other thing, and that's, and I try to model this through this podcast, is talk about this stuff. You can talk to your partner. You can talk to your friends. Not every friend or partner is going to be as receptive, um, but the right people are. And you can go out and talk to people and find experts in these subject matters, but don't suppress the stuff. And um, the only way that you're going to be able to, or don't compartmentalize the way the way forward is, is to talk about it and communicate it. That's how you're going to get closer to where you want to be. So hopefully our conversation exemplified that to a certain extent for the people who are who are listening to this. But thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me about this stuff in a public forum. It's been absolutely incredible. And if you're listening to this, you want to learn more about Ali and some of the things that he shared today, we're going to post links on the Craft Christmas website and within the description of this podcast so that you can find out about him more easily. Thank you again. Thank you, Chris. It was just a pleasure talking about this stuff, man. And uh, I commend you for having this really vulnerable conversation that us men need to have. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.